Leadership in Community from the sermon series, Take the Lead, spoken by Pastor David Hosang. Now some of you may look back at this moment or perhaps another defining moment when you recognize the gift of leadership that God has entrusted to you or recall when someone identified this gift in you. It's like when someone at the leadership conference approached my wife Betty and thanked her for identifying this gift in him at their home church and gave him leadership responsibilities. And as you reflect on your own life, you may also be able to say with honesty, I am a leader, hashtag leader too. Well, welcome again to our weekend gathering, Metro Peeps. Special welcome to those who are joining us for the first time or who have just started joining us in recent times. Last week, Pastor Mike gave us a blistering start to our new four-leg August series on taking the lead in times of uncertainty. He used Joseph as an example of leading from the weird workplace of prison where the Genesis passage states that those around Joseph noticed, one, that the Lord was with him, two, that Joseph exercised the leadership gift, and three, that he was so trustworthy that his boss, the prison warden, had no need for micromanaging him. Pastor Mike then came full circle to emphasize that the most important leadership quality demonstrated by Jesus, our ultimate example is that of servant leadership. Well, make no doubt about it, we live in unprecedented, uncertain times right now, facing at least two major crises in the USA. Firstly, we are still in the midst of COVID-19, with 168,000 dead and counting, staring down a real virus which will not magically disappear with little or no human effort. And even when we develop a partially effective vaccine, hopefully soon, we will still need to sustainably execute, execute the medical advice of mask wearing, social distancing, hand washing, timely testing, and widespread tracing during this new unpredictable normal. We need strong, unified human leadership on the mayoral level of cities, the gubernatorial level of states, and the presidential level of our nation. Especially with the church community, our leaders and people ought to be championing measures which exemplify biblical principles such as loving our neighbors as ourselves and not insisting on our own selfish proclamations of our own rights. We wear seat belts to protect our lives. We ought to be wearing masks to protect the lives of others, particularly vulnerable. This is a medical moral and Christian issue, 
not a political one. Secondly, there is a more sinister, even more insidious, pervasive virus of racism, tribalism, and prejudice, which will not easily be quickly eliminated by some Wall Street or Main Street rejuvenation of our economy. We don't need more media examples of angry Karens in our divided nation to prove that racism in America is not fake news to be dismissed, denied, or minimized, especially by God's church, where every single human being, regardless of race, is created equal in God's image and ought to be treated equal on both an individual personal as well as a community systematic level, especially those whose lives have not seemingly mattered to us. Humanly, this will not only be adequately addressed by massive human investments in areas such as education, healthcare, housing, law, and incarceration. But more importantly for the church, we need to identify the elephants in the room, like recognizing that sin and salvation are personal, which evangelical churches have been very good at identifying, but sadly have ignored the reality that sin and salvation also have a corporate community, even systemic dimension. God has given the church the supernatural resources of both personal and community transformation by the 100% effective vaccine of the blood of the resurrected Christ administered correctly to the heart. It is time for us to stop playing church and business as usual and for the church to be on the right side of history. His story of personal and community redemption, both in the present and in the future, when every knee will bow willingly and unwillingly and confess that Jesus is truly Lord on the final day. Last week, my wife and I, Betty, attended the 25th Annual Global Leadership Summit. We were reminded by one of the mantras Everyone wins when the leader gets better. Everyone wins when the leader gets better. This week, we look at leadership in community. And since community is such a broad term and topic, we will focus on leadership in Christian community, especially in the church community, with people functioning as church elders, paid and volunteer pastors, staff, ministry leaders, all types of leaders, including small group leaders and youth ministry leaders. Now, while this is very important, we will not address leadership in city, state, national community. Where God's kingdom values are not universally embraced by all, though kingdom leadership principles also apply here. We will also not address the most intimate community of Christian family today, 
as Pastor Dan will pick that up next Sunday. Today, we use Simon Peter, Cephas, a.k.a. the original Rocky, as our example of leadership in community. Our scripture passage today comes from 1 Peter 5, 1 to 7, which you may now follow on the screen. 1 Peter 5, 1 to 7. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your powerful word of scripture, which gives us direction in times of difficulty, in times of perplexity, even in times of crisis. And Father, we face times of crisis here in the USA and the world. And we pray especially for the leaders of our world, the leaders of our nation, the leaders of our states, the leaders of our cities, and especially leaders of our church, including leaders at Metro Community Church. Father, we pray that even this morning as we hear word, you would prompt some to rise up and exercise the God-given gift of leadership that you've given to them. We pray this in the resurrected Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our main message this morning, our main point this morning, is leading well in Christian community requires humility. Humility is a much misunderstood word. Humility is not self-hate. It is not poor self-worth. It is not self-depreciation. It is not even false self-depreciation, where you say, you know, I'm not very good, I'm, you know, when you think you're the best. Our passage today has an implicit example of humility in Peter and we will get to that later, and an explicit statement on it in verses 5 and 6, which we have just read. So, as a working definition of humility drawn from 1 Peter 5 this morning, here's a working definition. Humility is an attitude of submission to God 
leading to actions of service to others. Humility is an attitude of submission to God leading to actions of service to others. When Jesus arrived, he transformed this bad word in the culture of his day into a good word when he declared that he was humble, Matthew 11, 28 and 29, demonstrated his humility by washing his disciples' feet even though he was their leader and humbling himself to painful death on a shameful cross as we're reminded of in Philippians 2. In our passage today, there are some important things that Peter says about leadership in community. But before we look at what Peter says about leadership, let us take a look at how Jesus transformed Peter as a follower and a leader. Leadership in Christian community is not merely about our doing, our competence. It is more important, it is more about our being, our character. We serve and we lead out of our being, not merely out of our doing. Today, we look at three foundational statements from scripture on leadership in community through humility, about which we trust Peter would say, I am Simon Peter, and I approve of this message. Firstly, humility says, I thought wrong and changed my beliefs. In the case of the opinionated all-or-nothing Peter, he thought that he had wagered his chips in the right place. He was recruited by someone he believed to be the anointed one. So when Jesus gave his disciples a pop quiz on one of the journeys, asking them who people thought he was, and more importantly, who, who they thought Jesus was, Peter aced the test by answering first and giving the right answer, though superficially. He proudly declared, you are the Messiah, Ha-Meshiach, in Hebrew, meaning the anointed one, translated the Christ, Ha-Christos, in Greek. Jesus commended Peter on his brilliant answer and actually gave him special honor. But as Jesus began to explain his sufferings as Messiah, which would precede his glory, Peter had the audacity to rebuke Jesus, upon which Jesus sternly rebuked Peter, calling him Satan, or at least satanically inspired, by not listening and learning what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. Peter was half right about Jesus being the Messiah, but totally wrong regarding the Messiah's identity and mission. But thankfully, after Jesus' death, resurrection, and further instructions, Peter got it. The lights came on. In his maiden public sermon on the day of Pentecost, he declared the absolute necessity of the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead according to the scriptures. His letter in 1 Peter is filled with the importance and significance of Jesus' suffering as Messiah, 
as well as the probability and sometimes even the necessity of Christians suffering for their faith. So how about you in terms of your past and present beliefs regarding Jesus? Is Jesus merely a good person, creative teacher, perhaps a miracle worker to you? Or is Jesus the Messiah, the divine Son of God, who offers salvation if you believe and accept his offer of salvation? Closer to home in the church, is Jesus merely Savior, your eternal life or fire insurance policy out of hell that you thought you acquired at some youth retreat when you were growing up? Well, if Jesus is not both your Savior and Lord, you may actually have a fake fire insurance policy. Being a Christian, a follower, a disciple of Jesus, means that Jesus ought to be not only your Savior, but also your Lord, the CEO of your life. Jesus taught that obedience to him is not a preferred option but an essential prerequisite. Now we're not saying if you do good works and obey Jesus, you'll be saved. But if you're truly saved, you will do good works and you'll obey Jesus. Just read Jesus's lips in places like his Sermon on the Mount. So humility says, I thought wrong and changed my beliefs. Secondly, humility says, I did wrong and changed my behavior. Remember Peter filled with false bravado towards Jesus? Remember Peter saying at the Last Supper, these guys may betray you, but me, never ever. After, Pete, after Jesus' arrest, Peter followed Jesus at distance to witness what would happen to him. A low-ranking young maid in the room recognized Peter, who immediately recognized, denied that he knew Jesus. Three times in a very short period of time, Peter is identified as one of Jesus' disciples, and three times he denies this. The rooster crowed the third time, just as Jesus had predicted, and Peter rushed outside, sobbing, uncontrollably. Thankfully, again, restoration came after Jesus' resurrection. Peter denied Jesus three times, and three times after an extraordinary fishing adventure, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? To which Peter responds affirmatively, and Jesus instructs him, feed my sheep. Peter became the recognized leader of the early church. As leader, he was warned with threats of punishment from the Jewish Supreme Court about preaching the good news about Jesus. But he bravely declared, we must obey God rather than human beings. According to reliable church tradition, Peter remained faithful to Jesus during the persecution of Christians in Rome. 
under Emperor Nero and chose to be crucified upside down, not considering himself worthy to suffer death similar to that of Jesus, his Savior and Lord. Peter's behavior is transformed from cockiness and denial to restoration and charge to defense and martyrdom. Well, we may not have this opportunity of such a dramatic story, but how about you, your past and present story? How about your BC life before Christ and your AD or AC after Christ's life? If you lived a pretty wild life before becoming a Christian, you and others may have noticed changes in your behavior. But even if these changes have not been dramatic, thank God for the ways that he has changed you and continues to change you in areas of your own life for the better. And also ask God to help you in transforming you in areas where you know, you know you need to change and are struggling. If you're living a non-Christian life right now, are not yet a Christian, and sense the emptiness in your life, now is the time for you to seek Jesus to change your behavior. And if you are a Christian, living an unchristian life now, and claiming to be a Christian, now is the time to really turn to Jesus, either for the first time, or return to him now, so that he can help you to change your own behavior. So humility says, I did wrong and changed my behavior. And finally, humility says, I related wrong and changed my leadership. As an early disciple of Jesus, Peter was self-absorbed, impulsive, and even cocky. As a sinful child of Adam, his default human setting was it's all about me, me, me. And parents, you know that however cute and adorable your baby or kid looks, that sinful default mode is feed me, change me, soothe me, entertain me, or I'm going to make life pretty miserable for you. As a Jew, even after Peter became, in quote, a Christian, Peter had racist attitudes toward the goyim, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And God needed to use a supernatural vision to change Peter's perspectives. In Peter's hunger dream on the rooftop just before lunchtime, a sheet full of animals descends with the words, rise, Peter, kill and eat, to which Peter responds with the contradictory statement, no, Lord, contradiction, I don't do non-kosher stuff. Peter receives the response, what God has cleansed, do not call unclean. This now sets up Peter, the Jew, to visit the home of Gentile Cornelius, which was a no-no for Jews, preach the good news to, about Jesus, see the Holy Spirit fall on them 
these Gentiles, just as the Holy Spirit fell on the 120 Jews in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. This divine defining encounter led Peter to defend his actions before his conservative Jewish Christian brethren and sisters, to tell his story before a huge all-church conference in Jerusalem, and to write the letter of 1 Peter to Christians in Asia Minor, now modern Turkey, who were predominantly Gentiles, not Jews. This is real transformation from Peter the racist to Peter the anti-racist. How about you? Has God's personal revelation and experiences changed the way that you see people, the way that you lead people? I confess that my perspectives on race have changed over the years. Growing up in Jamaica with nuanced experiences of slavery, classism, and colorism, plus a heavily white evangelical perspective on race from well-meaning missionaries, plus an ignorance of American history from the perspectives of whites as well as blacks, Asians, and other people of color, I was ill-equipped to understand the complex issues of race in the USA. Through learning from books, but most importantly, from friendships with people of color here, I now have a much better understanding of leadership in a multi-ethnic church than I did when I first arrived in this country from my seminary studies in the mid-70s. And I'm still learning as I approach my 70s. So let's take a look at what Peter says in our passage about the importance of godly Christian leadership in uncertain times. Nero is emperor of Rome, and there are hints in this epistle that Christians are already experiencing persecution, not so much from the hostile Roman government, but from the hands of their non-Christian neighbors with whom they used to participate in wild parties before they became Christians. Notice at the beginning of this letter, at uh, the beginning of this chapter, the transformation of Peter as he begins his instructions in verse 1 of chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Peter's transformation is from prideful self-centeredness to humble empathy. Peter was one of the 12 original apostles, one of the three in Jesus' inner circle, the original Rocky on whom or on whose confession the church is built. And yet, here Peter does not pull rank by asserting his superior qualifications over these church elders. With humility and empathy, he identifies himself as a fellow elder who knows firsthand what it means to lead God's flock. Also remember here that he's actually addressing Gentile, not Jewish elders, and Gentile congregations that these gen 
Gentile leaders led. Yes, Peter holds the distinction of being an eyewitness of Jesus' sufferings. But notice how quickly he adds that along with them, he will be a joint sharer of the future glory to be revealed. He continues in verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. He probably recalls Jesus' thrice-repeated question to him, do you love me? Followed by his response, followed by the words, feed my sheep at his restoration. Peter's threefold instructions and peers are revealing to the fellow leaders. These words are very applicable to those of us in church who function as spiritual shepherds, whether parents, elders, staff, ministry leaders, small group leaders, youth ministry leaders, kids ministry leaders. Peter gives three pairs of instructions, stated, stated negatively and then positively, which we have transposed. First, be willing leaders, not duty-bound ones. Verse 2b, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Secondly, be eager servants, not dishonest mercenaries. Verse 2c, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And then thirdly, be good examples, not dominating lords. Verse 3, not lording it over to those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. So rather than giving an exposition of the deeper meaning of these three pairs of instructions about leading in the church community, I offer an illustration on leadership with transforming humility with a little caveat here, be careful what you pray for. As I was preparing this message two weeks ago, I made this dangerous prayer by saying, Lord, would you please provide an opportunity to serve you with transforming humility? But late Monday night this week, after 11 o'clock, I got a time-sensitive request for help the next day. And I could have said, ah, it's kind of late. I'm busy preparing my message, and I'll have other responsibilities. Or I'll pass the buck maybe to someone as young and energetic as 25-year-old IJ. But I remembered my prayer request to God and decided that this was my assignment. So early morning, I contacted our elders and staff and a few other leaders about joining me on an assignment later that afternoon. On one of the hottest summer days this year, this week, in the sweltering humidity of the afternoon sun, five showed up for part one of an assignment to do some heavy lifting. And another team got part two done a little bit later in the day. And this is actually similar to what 
the team at the food pantry does every week. In this case, special thanks to Deborah, Debbie, Tasha, Dan, Charles, and IJ for leading and serving God together in community with transforming humility. As I checked Peter's criteria for leading in community, I was happy that our team leaders fulfilled these conditions for this assignment. Be willing leaders, not duty-bound ones. Their arms are not twisted. I didn't say to Tasha, you're an elder, you're supposed to be here. Or I didn't say to staff, you get paid. Not all that well, but you get paid, so you have to be here. Everybody showed up, not because of duty, but gladly and willingly. Be eager servants, not dishonest mercenaries. But obviously, this was not a financial gig. We weren't going to get paid here. But we all knew that, and we showed up, and we did our job joyfully. Be examples, not dominating lords. Someone did not just pull out a chair and started barking orders to the rest of us as to what we should be doing. We all pitched in, and I believe we honored God by showing how we served together, and we served as a team. I'm so thankful to God for our community of leaders here who serve God and who lead God's people with transforming humility with the servant leadership of Jesus. But as we close, let's take out our next steps card or online um, form. and see how we may need to respond to God's word this morning. And this will actually be a response, and as we respond, we'll close in prayer as well. Firstly, I'm saying yes to Jesus as my Savior and Lord for the first time. There's no greater joy than to see birth in a family. And we're so thankful that we have seen births here in this family. But we don't want you to be abandoned infants. We want to provide help for you as a spiritual infant. Secondly, I resolve with God's help to begin changing my behavior in one problem area of my life. Probably don't need to look too hard to know that. And this help is the help of the Holy Spirit. This help may actually also be the help of human accountability, your soulmate, or a good, safe friend. Thirdly, I will willingly and proactively pursue ways that I can serve God's community here at Metro. For Christians, particularly Christian leaders, the watchword is service, not serve us, service. Fourthly, I will commit myself to be an example of a humble servant leader with any ministry 
entrusted to me. We talked about people saying, I'll pray about it. Well, there's some things that you really don't need to pray about. So my prayer is that as God has been prompting you, maybe through one of our um, leaders here about serving, that you would step it up and serve. Finally, I will read Ruth 1, 1 to 22, in preparation for next week's sermon on leadership in the family. <laughs> 